So have you ever known, you know, something was the right thing to do? You know, something like you had no doubt in your mind it was the right thing. And still, mm, you don't do it. You ever been in a situation like that? That was basically my entire junior high and high school years, really. But have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I know I, I'm, I'm like counting calories and I shouldn't eat this. I shouldn't you know, drink the 700 calorie pumpkin spice latte that came out this week or anything. Like I shouldn't do that. But still like I'll deal with that tomorrow. You know, I shouldn't click on the website. I shouldn't you know, talk to this person like that. I, I shouldn't feel these things even. And like we just don't know how to navigate it. We don't know what to do. And no one will know. And we just kind of just let it go. Or you're like I should exercise. Or I, or I should save. Or I should do these things. But this chair is so comfortable. And like I just don't know when I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll give Get to it later. See, it's not enough knowing the right thing to do, right? If we only relied on knowing what the right thing is to do, everybody would be healthy. Everybody would be able to do all these things. But we know the right thing to do. We even argue about the right thing to do. We post about it on Instagram. We argue about it on Facebook or whatever. But when push comes to shove, when we actually have to put in the money or the time or the effort or have the conversation or, you know, change the behavior, we're, we're, we're kind of like, mm, Nah, I'm good. We've been in the series that we've been calling the guide to every decision you'll ever make in your entire life. And this is kind of this tongue in cheek title to this series because this is kind of what we want. This is what we pursue. Like we want to have a play by play. We want to have a move by move guide. And we really want to just be happy and healthy and everybody else to leave us alone. And we've talked over the last couple of weeks about God's will and how his will is for us to be holy and he cares more about who we are than, than what we do. And we've also talked about how God guides in all these different ways. He guides through what he provides. He also guides through what he withholds. And last week, Reed talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, you know, how the Holy Spirit guides and plays into our life and how we can listen and evaluate and obey what God prompts us to do. But I believe a lot of times we're in this situation and we're like, I actually do think I know what God kind of is prompting me to do. Like I do know maybe something that he, he is wanting me to start. It, understanding what God's will is is just the beginning though, isn't it? Like we actually have to, you know, do something about it. We actually have to respond to God's will. So I just am wondering right now, just think about, is there something in your life that God is wanting you to do, that he's calling you to do? Is there something that you believe he is prompting you towards? A big thing, a little thing, an attitude shift, a behavior change, you know, a conversation you need to have. See, the reality is many of us kind of do know what to do and and we don't even know where to start. So we see something, we feel something, we feel God's prompting us, you know, we understand how it fits into, you know, who he is and what he's all about. Other people are encouraging us to do it even, but we just don't. How many people have said over the last, I don't know, six months, I want to be a little healthier? All of you, I don't believe you at all. Like we go like, I want to be healthier, right? Like I downloaded the app, I signed up for the thing, I, I you know, went to the gym once. And then, and then we just stop. Like we don't actually kind of like take the next step. There are a lot of those in the spiritual world, right? Like I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. 
I want to, you know, have, have community that supports me, but we just don't take the, the step. We don't, we just stop. We want to treat our spouse well. We want to learn how to communicate. We want to learn how to navigate a tough situation that we're in. We want to go to school. We want to set ourselves up well for the future, but we just don't always have the behaviors. We don't always know what to do. We, we kind of stop before we start. It's really hard to make a change. It's really hard to start, even if we believe it's God's will. So I was thinking about this. Have you ever seen like the before and after pictures? You ever seen those? You know what I'm talking about? Like the before picture and they're like, and then the after picture, they're like, you know, and they're just, you know, strutting their stuff. You ever seen those? I'm the only person in this room who's seen them. You all are lying today. (laughs) Here's the thing. So in before or after uh, pictures, I'm fascinated by them. Because we react so strongly, but in a lot of different ways, don't we? Like one, bef- you know, before picture, and we go like, hey, like I'm celebrating that. Way to go. You look great. But then maybe on the inside, we're like, mm, I wish that I looked like that. Or sometimes I see them, and I'm like, what magic happened? Like, what, how did you do it? Like, and they would say, you know, there's time and effort and energy and, you know, plans and, and strategy and all these things. But like, we just see it right in front of us. And we're like, I, I, I don't know how, how that happened. Why do you think somebody takes a before picture? Have you ever thought about that? Because they are about to have an after picture. They're anticipating what is coming, Right? A before picture without an after picture is just a selfie. (laughs) Think about it. But when you have an after picture, when you start something, when you're anticipating what's coming next, it has so much power. How cool is that? So today, we're kind of thinking about it as like taking that before picture. Because I believe if God is prompting you to do something, which I believe he is, then today's the before And we're going to start today. We're going to work towards that after. So how do we do it? How do we start? How do we take the next step in God's will? So we're going to turn to the Bible. And there's there's a book of the Bible. It's called Nehemiah. And it's about a guy named Nehemiah. And here's a little bit of the background, okay? God told his people, the Israelites, listen, I want you to worship. I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. And they didn't do that. They didn't worship, follow, or obey him. And then God allowed an outside group, the Babylonians, to come and basically annihilate everything that was like near and dear to the Israelites' heart. I mean, they, they you know, tore, basically burned things down. The, the whole city was, you know, held captive and then you really kind of taken out of their homeland. They destroyed the temple. You know, that's kind of where they worshiped and they broke down the wall protecting Jerusalem so they couldn't like protect themselves against, you know, foreign lands. It was not a pretty thing. So things are really bad in Jerusalem. And then 140 years passed. That's a long time. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around 140 years. 140 years ago, for us, would have been like 1883 or so. Anybody know who the president was in 1883? Everybody's favorite president, Chester A. Arthur, was the president at the time. The Brooklyn Bridge in New York had just opened. 
the first electric lighting system was built by Thomas Edison. If that gives you a little bit of context, 140 years is a really long time. So Jerusalem is in a bad spot. The people of God are in a bad spot. 140 years later, some people go back into the homeland and they're like, hey, we're going to fix this up. We're going to make some changes, but it's discouraging and it's difficult. It's not going well. It's actually pretty embarrassing. And so Nehemiah learned about this situation and what was going on in the world. And he he was really bothered by it. Like he just couldn't shake it. Like it really messed with his head and his heart. God moved through that and burdened Nehemiah and prompted him to do something. So I'm going to take a second to say, I don't know what God is prompting in your life, but sometimes God gives you a burden so heavy because he uses it to give you direction. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes God gives you a burden that's so heavy that he uses it to give you direction that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Have you ever encountered something like that? When you just feel it in your bones, even other people are saying to you, hey, like this doesn't make sense, but you know that this honors God, that this is a big deal. And you're like, we have to do something about it. I sometimes call that a divine burden. Here's some examples of those. Maybe it's somebody who dealt with addiction for a really long time, and now they're on the other side of that, and they want to give back. You know, those are real people who lead our Celebrate Recovery here at the Ridge. Why do they do this? Well, I think that they have a little bit of a, of a different kind of before and after picture, right? Or maybe it's moms that have grown and have older or grown kids and They give their time and energy and effort in mentoring other younger moms. Those are real people who are a part of our MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers ministry that give back in that way. Maybe it's somebody who's experienced something like jail or prison, and they want to help people navigate their way to Jesus and out of that lifestyle. And we have real people who volunteer in prisons and jails in multiple counties. Why in the world would people do stuff like that? Because these people have a divine burden. And it's God's prompting, really. And that's really what Nehemiah had. So, city of Jerusalem is defenseless. It is not a good situation. The walls are all broken down, and Nehemiah believed that God was prompting him to do something about it. And he wasn't like a king. He, wasn't, he didn't really have much influence or political power. He was actually the king's cupbearer. He was a servant. He was actually a slave, And I think we can learn about how to follow God's prompting from this servant slave, Nehemiah. So how do we do it? How do we follow God's will? That's kind of the question of the day. How do we go about doing it? Well, here's the first one. We start with God. I know that that's not that complicated, but this is super, super important. Have you ever done this? God couldn't possibly use somebody like me. God couldn't possibly, it's too big, it's too much. Where would I even start? I'm not smart enough, I don't have the influence, I don't have the opportunity. Like, oh man, I, like, those days are behind me, or I'm too young, or whatever. Like, we use all sorts of excuses instead of starting with God. So Nehemiah feels this heavy burden to do something about Jerusalem. And so he hears about what's going on, and then he prays. He starts with God. This is Nehemiah 1 starting in verse four. So this is what he says. So he goes, when I heard this, I sat down 
and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So he heard it, and immediately he was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to just cry out to God. And then I said, oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Have you ever been in a situation like that? God, I have this burden on my heart. Listen to my prayer. I mean, Nehemiah prays his heart out for days. He stops eating, he fasts, he cries out. And then he asks God, hey, give me favor. I'm gonna go ask the king for some help. And he goes to the king and he goes, king, boss, like I know this might sound like a lot, but will you let me travel 850 miles to Jerusalem and start a building campaign. And I have to tell you, if somebody who worked here at the Ridge came into my office and said, hey, I'm going to travel 850 miles and start a building campaign, I'd be like, can we talk that through a little bit before you do it? But that's not how the king responded at all. The king not only says, yes, you can do that, he gives Nehemiah the supplies that he needs to rebuild the wall and to start what God is doing. That's how amazing and perfect God's provision is. So maybe there's something in your life and you're like, okay, here's God's will. We start with God every single time. We ask God, what do you want us to do? We ask God in the middle of it, hey, how do I start this? What does this look like? We pray, we cry out, we ask God, we seek him first. And that's what Nehemiah does. And so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he goes and he looks at the walls. He inspects everything and he starts to galvanize people. He starts to have this conversation And how do we follow God? We start with God. And here's the second thing. Here's what Nehemiah did. So he followed God. He had this burden. And then he he took the next step. Isn't Isn't that incredible? We don't do that. Like we stop here. We're like, God, please do something. See ya. But but the reality is Nehemiah said, hey, God, do something. Okay, now I'm going to take the next step. And I'm going to join you in what you're doing. And Nehemiah has a huge task in front of him. He needs to repair and rebuild a wall that will eventually be almost two miles long. It included around 10 gates and approximately eight towers. This was not a small little Lego tower that they're building or anything. That's a daunting task for a servant cup dairy, right? How do you, how do you build a, a brick wall? One brick at a time. It's not a, it's not a good joke. It's just true. How do you follow God's will in your life? One step at a time. That's it. One step. And that's what Nehemiah did. So check this out. This is Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 17. He's talking to the people about what they need to do. So now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Look around you. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, right away, immediately, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Yes, they said, I see what God wants us to do. And yes, taking the next step sometimes just comes down to saying yes. 
But sometimes when it comes to God's will, you know, we, we make excuses. We're like, well, I'm not 100% sure. You know, like, I don't, I don't really know. But we sometimes just don't want to say yes. And there are reasons. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we don't know what to do. Maybe we don't think we have the strength. But here's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why we don't say yes. Because it's going to cost us something. And taking the next step costs something. Almost every time. It comes with quite a cost. So remember when we started this series, the, the goal in our lives, God's will is to make us holy. And we think that you know, holiness means that we're kind of part of the fuddy-duddy, no fun committee you know, type of thing. Like that we don't have any fun, we don't have any joy because it comes with a cost. You know, just rules, regulations. But saying yes means that you're joining God in the work that he is doing. And I tell you what, we have a church value here at the Ridge that we will laugh loud, hard, and often. Why do we have a church value like that? Because I believe taking our next step with God, you know, following God's lead in our life, leads us to joy. I think that the church should be the most joy-filled place ever because of what God is doing, because of what Jesus has done, because we understand hope, we understand love, we feel connected. See, that's why we kind of go about some of the things. That's why we like to laugh around here. I mean, we have fun around here. Yay, we like jokes. But the reality is there's a reason. There's a reason that we pursue those things and it's because of joy. So what are you able to say yes to? I don't know. I don't know what God is prompting you towards. It could be joining God in something big like Nehemiah. It could be joining in just doing the next right thing. And I don't know what it is, but maybe you know what it is. You know, it could be forgiving somebody. It could be, you know, turning away from anger. It could be joining God in what he wants in your life right now. And you know exactly what it is while I'm talking and you're trying not to make eye contact with me. And that's fine. And it's scary. And I know, but remember, if it starts with God and you take the next step and you're doing what God desires, it's not this no fun zone. It's full of more joy than we can comprehend. But you're right, it is not necessarily easy. So we start with God, we take the next step, and then here's the next thing, we should be relying on God. Because God's will isn't just something that we start with and then kind of leave in the background and we figure it out on our own. It's actually an invitation to join God in what he's doing. God is with us, God is for us, he works through us, he's there every step of the way, he helps us at every turn. And that's true in this story with Nehemiah. Nehemiah starts to build the wall and he takes the next step and the step after that. And then check this out. This is Nehemiah 2, 19 and, and 20. When Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan to rebuild the wall, they scoffed contemptuously. Love those words. Love them. It gives me a, a thought of like an evil villain, like scoffing. <laughs> but the reality is they, they went pretty hard after Nehemiah and his gang. They like tried to kill him and stuff. So that's what this is saying. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? See, that could get him killed. I replied, Nehemiah replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Not the king. The God of heaven will help us succeed. See, we, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. And that's what they were saying. They're like, this is ours. And Nehemiah is saying, no, it's God's. The same God that created the heavens and the earth 
is the same God that led Israel, is the same God that was leading Nehemiah, is the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, is the, the same God that loves us and helps us right where we're at. He will show up if we rely on him. Now we're closing in on the end of the 10K challenge. We've been talking about that for a year. It's been going on for almost a year. And the 10K challenge was this year-long initiative to serve in our communities, show the love of Jesus. And really, this is how it started. It was a way to celebrate being in this building for 10 years and really a way to celebrate what God has done. So I was looking back through some of our notes about the 10K challenge. And 10,000 hours was 833 hours a month 192 hours a week, 27 hours a day. Literally impossible for an individual to do this. Really unlikely for a very small group of people to do this. So you would have to rely on God. God would have to show up. God would have to prompt. God would have to guide. And spoiler alert, he did. And if you have some hours to turn in, that'd be awesome because we're gonna celebrate it here in a couple of weeks. I'll talk about that in a second. But we think we want God's will but we don't really want to risk anything to say yes. And we don't really want to have to rely on God. That's, I think, more of the reality of our situation than we'd like to admit. If you're in a situation right now that you're relying on God, that's a good thing. That's a holy thing. If you can live your life without relying on God, that should give you pause. I don't know how many of us do, but I tell you what, we act like it. We can do it on our own. I don't need help. I don't need anything else. I'll ask God like in an emergency, but I'm not going to rely on God if I don't have to. So we start with God. We take that next step and we rely on God the whole way. But we have to mention one more thing, and it's really important. See, we also, number four, we navigate opposition in the middle of that. See, God's will is not always easy Ask Nehemiah, ask anyone you know. He's in the middle of this building project and people are rising up against him, trying to kill him. They don't want him to succeed. and They're making life difficult. So he relies on God and he starts with God. God's all over the story. And then he prays. So this is Nehemiah 4, starting um, in verse 4. This is what he said. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. That's strong language. May their scoffing, they're scoffing contemptuously trying to kill them. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Man, do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. He is not happy about it, is he? He's crying out to God, help me, God. But take a look at the very next verse because in opposition, God shows up so much, even in the midst of praying and even in the midst of scoffing and in the midst of all these things. This is verse six, the next verse. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Right in the middle of the difficult stuff, they worked with enthusiasm. Opposition didn't stop them. Sometimes it's in the opposition where God shows up the most. It's when we're aware of what he's doing, when we need him to show up and we're paying attention when he does. See, God's will, listen, God's will is not always the easiest path. Rarely is it the easiest path. But God's will is always the best path. Every single time. 
So Nehemiah started with God. And he took one step at a time. He relied on God. He navigated this opposition. I love this. We know the exact day. October 2nd, 52 days after they had begun, which is blazing fast, by the way. They are building projects now that take longer than 52 days. The wall was finished. Check this out. This is Nehemiah 6, 16. See, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. Why? Because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God, that they couldn't have done it on their own, that there's something supernatural going on. So how do you respond when things are difficult? How do you respond when things maybe aren't going the way that we want them to? Opposition didn't stop them. But I have to tell you what, when I'm in the middle of something that's difficult, when I'm in the middle of opposition, in the middle of suffering, I did kind of a self-evaluation. I didn't come out looking very good. Maybe we whine, maybe we complain, maybe we argue, maybe we blame somebody else. Maybe we get angry, maybe we get depressed, I don't know, but do you see it as God's leading? Where opposition, where they show up? See, people saw what God had done and they gathered together. And here's the fifth thing. They also celebrated what God had done. So what's God's will in your life? You start with God, you take the next step, you rely, you navigate opposition. And when God shows up, which he does, and when God loves, which he does, and God provides, which he does, with joy, by the way, what do we do? We celebrate good times, come on. That's not what that song's about, just in case you're wondering. It's not about the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8.10, it kind of says it like this. So Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast, rich foods, sweet drinks, good stuff, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day. It's a holy day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I have to tell you, hey, why were they dejected and sad? Because when they gathered together, they were reminded that they had disobeyed God. And Nehemiah is saying, hey, I understand that in the past you did the wrong thing, but God shows up anyway. God will provide for you even when you mess up, even when you're not enough. Isn't that incredible? And there's joy that comes from that. This is verse 11. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep. This is a sacred day. It's a holy, and that's God's will for us in our lives. So the people went away to eat and drink. They threw a party at a festive meal to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. And I have to tell you, in two weeks, September 10th, we are going to party. It is going to be fun. It's going to be just an engaging, wonderful way to celebrate what God has done over the last year. So we're going to do that in two ways. We're going to rock it out on Sunday morning. We also are going to give an entire event away to our community called Columbus Fam Jam. Invite somebody. It's a can't-miss thing. I would love for every single person who calls the Ridge their church home to come and invite somebody else that we run out of stuff. I'm sure the people planning in it love that I just said that. But we're going to celebrate with great joy. That's what we're going to do. So we start with God. We take the next step. We rely on God. We navigate that opposition, and we celebrate what God has done. So I'm going to ask you right now, I don't know where you're at in your before and after picture. 
I don't know what God is doing in your life, but what is it in your life right now that you believe that God might be prompting you toward? Here's what I believe. I believe that every single person who follows Jesus has a next step, that you don't get to stop having next steps. That's why we have a church value here. We relentlessly pursue next steps. Why? Because God shows up and he wants you to come closer. He wants you to grow. I believe every single person who follows Jesus has a next step. And honestly, I believe that you should be able to identify what it is. And I don't know what it is. It could be a lot of different things here at the Ridge. You know, join a group, serve, give, the typical things. It could be something in your relationships. It could be following through on the thing that you said that you were going to do and then you're not going to do. It could be turning away from something that is going to be negative. Maybe it's God prompting you towards something bigger and it's burdening your heart and you know you got to do it. Or maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. And you're like, I don't know what I feel about all that. And I, I understand that. But I believe that God's will for you and for those who follow him is to surrender our lives to him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a fancy way of just saying every aspect of our lives. See, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He conquered death. And that where we fall short, where we fall short of God's standard is holiness. That we have this opportunity to take that first step, that we start that relationship with God. And I believe that it changes everything that it leads to joy and hope and peace that we can't even fully understand this side of heaven. We actually have a baptism Sunday coming up on September 17th. So the September 10th and then the 17th, we're going to have some fun weeks here at the Ridge over the next couple of weeks. We have a baptism coming up and that's just the way to start that relationship with God. But either way, if you don't have a relationship, that's your next step. If you do, you have a next step. So what is it in your life right now? What's next? So we start with God, we take the next step, we rely on God, we navigate opposition and we celebrate what God has done and what he is doing and what he will do in your life. Now I wanna kind of share a story from somebody who is, who is living this right now. Somebody who's been thinking about God's will took that step to follow Jesus and took that step to be baptized here recently. So I'd like you to hear a story from my friend, Alex. Hi, my name is Alex, and my backstory of the baptism, so when I was 21, I have made a lot of mistakes in my life. Um, I lost my path with Jesus a long time ago. Um, I made, used to make a lot of mistakes um, until I was 26. That's when I started going to the Ridge. Start of this year of January, um, I wasn't much of a church person, and I think that was the time when I was just getting pulled away from God and thinking I could do everything on my own. But when I first time walked into the Ridge, end of January into February, just right into the door, God just spoke to me, saying, you know, this is going to be your church, this is going to be your home, and you're going to be here and serving. What encouraged me to get baptized was just, I, th- I want to say it was Adam's message. Um, I felt like God wanted me to do something that was right in the first time. And so getting baptized was probably one of the best decisions I've made. I know everybody saw me on Facebook. You know, I posted it on Facebook. Everybody knows this. So uh, it was a very emotional day. Um, 
It felt like it was the right thing to do. A lot of people supported me. I think that was the one biggest thing. It was a big day. Um, felt like God reached to my hand and and I'm starting to guide his path. You know, he's creating a path for me and I'm ready to follow where he's taking me.